Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from listeners like you. Learn how you can support the show and get exclusive access to podcast episodes not released to the public by visiting patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm all right. We came home early for a snow day. It was super fun. Nice, lucky you. <laughs> First snow day of the year, and the um, snow um, you can pack, so we made snowmen. Snow oh, people. wow. I can't cute. even remember the last time I made a snowman. An artist who loves staring at faces, especially the noses. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 562. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Elizabeth Zunon illustrator of Bedtime for Sweet Creatures, which is written by Nikki Grimes. It is a bedtime story of a parent telling the story of putting her child to bed. Elizabeth's illustrations play alongside the text in enticing the child to bed by likening the child to different animals throughout this bedtime process. It's just the right amount of silly with a sincere through-line that's caught in the parents' eyes at every turn. And it's become our bedtime story companion of late. Many thanks to Elizabeth, and to Nikki for that. Elizabeth also shares Grandpa Cacao, her author-illustrator debut, a whole family history of farmers and chocolate, and working the land is shared between father and daughter, while they bake a chocolate cake for a special visitor. I loved this one, and it's a story I still carry with me, sharing it often with readers. Please welcome my guest, Elizabeth Zunon, illustrator of Bedtime for Sweet Creatures by Nikki Grimes, and author-illustrator of Grandpa Cacao. My name is Elizabeth Zunon. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am a children's book illustrator and new author. Um, I love painting portraits. I love faces. I love stories. And much of the artwork that I create is uh, mixed media with oil paint and cut paper collage. Yay. I'm so glad you're here. Yay. Thank you. Can I just say you are good at painting faces? I'm glad you like painting faces. You are very good at painting faces. Thank (laughs) you. I just love staring at faces. I love noses, especially. Noses are my favorite. You're kidding. No. 
Have you always been, even like from a child, a person that is fascinated with faces? Um, maybe not so much as a child. I think as a child, I was just interested in like all kinds of art cool. in general. Yeah. But maybe, um, maybe in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, I've really kind of focused on faces. Yeah. And why noses? I mean, other than they strike <laughs> me as being a distinct thing feature for one yeah, person exactly. to the next. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the more, the more picture books I illustrate, I'm realizing like, you know, what it means to actually draw a portrait that looks like who it's supposed to look like. And I think that I've determined that for me, if I can draw the nose correctly, if it looks like the appropriate person's nose, then the rest of the face will look correct. But I feel like the nose is the most important part, the most important like piece of the puzzle to getting a face that looks like a specific face that I'm trying to copy. No kidding. I am yeah. picturing you in front of <laughs> groups of children at school visits saying this, and it's kind yeah. of blowing my mind to think that that, that that could actually be the piece of why you think the thing you're drawing doesn't look right. Well, you just didn't yes. get the nose right. Exactly. That actually, I did I did a uh, um, morning of school visits today, and I was teaching kids how to draw self-portraits. And I was saying, yeah, I always start with the nose because it's right in the middle of your face, and it's the thing that protrudes the most, that sticks out the most. And I think if you can draw a nose that looks like your nose, everything else will fall into place. But, you know, everybody might have a different opinion. Maybe they think it's the shape of the lips that makes something look like the correct face or the eyes or the eyebrows. But for me, it's definitely the nose. Well, you're also speaking to a, a culture now or a generation, maybe is the word now, of children that are constantly making avatars oh, for yes. every profile of every thing they're doing online. Uh, mm. It's constantly making avatars. So I wonder if, if they are considering how they think the different avatar tools reflect their own features or features that they want to use for their avatars. I don't know. It's just it's... That's a great, I've never <laughs> thought about that. I, yeah. I wonder, I, I've never made an avatar myself. So as I'm doing see. it with my four-year-old, I, I think <laughs> things like that too, where she sometimes will react to different things that we're doing on the, on the switch when we make our, our me's. Mm. And, um, She'll say things like, that's not what my hair looks like. That's not what uh, my whatever looks like. And I always think, yeah. like, you don't look like this character at all. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. But, it's just disparate pieces that are pieced together to kind of maybe look like somebody that yeah, might look like a likeness, you. sure. Yeah. Well, um, we've got a lot of books to cover. But before we even start, I want to make sure that I am addressing you the way that you would appreciate being addressed. Would you, do you prefer to go by Elizabeth or Liz? What, how do you, what do you prefer? Liz is fine. Most people call me Liz. My friends and family call me Liz. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm judging by email and Skype names, <laughs> but I yes. didn't want to be presumptuous. Yes, yes. Liz is, is fine. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm a Matthew all the way. And now that okay. we're on first name basis, <laughs> I want to tell you that my students know your work and can identify your work because we've centered books that you have have illustrated and and written in this case um, a lot in our library. And I'm really grateful to be able to say that books like yeah. um, I am a farmer that yeah. um, Baptiste Paul and yes. Miranda Paul did yes. um, and um, going back even further, one plastic bag was on uh, our state book award. Oh. Um, and so I guess in that way, kids all over the state 
read that book. Um, We had in our, we do a mock credit Scott King every year. Mm -hmm. And last year, one of our finalists, I think it was last year, was the legendary Miss Lena Holm. Oh, nice one. Weatherford. Oh, that. So when you, right away when you said, (laughs) I like drawing faces, I remember how distinctly they reacted to the art in that book. Oh, wow. As we're going through CSK again this year, it's, you listen for that kind of language where children are just reacting in certain ways that it's just, they, it's neat to have the opportunity to hear children reacting to art and communicating Mm. what they're connecting with and, and how their tastes are forming and enjoying something that is maybe more abstract or more realistic. It's, it's a really cool vantage point to be a librarian and be able to witness that. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like you have a great, um, great opportunity to meet with a lot of kids and see what they like and, and kind of learn what, what inspires them. Oh, life in the library is, is always the place to be. (laughs) (laughs) But you have, Liz, you have a book on our list this year. (laughs) Yay! I mean, not surprisingly, it's a gorgeous book that I think a ton of us online talked about. Um, um, and I'm sure is read a lot in classrooms, but grandpa cacao, the tale of chocolate farm to family is 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 on our csk and um is all about the faces and is all about i don't know it's 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 a book that i love when a good nonfiction book connects with children and mm-hmm. you seem to have your name affixed to a lot of nonfiction books yes i love nonfiction. so would you mind sharing with those people that haven't encountered this book it's been out since Halfway through the year-ish, right? Like May? Yeah, yeah, late May. May or June? Yeah, okay. So at the end of last school year, it was coming out. Um, Would you mind sharing, for those that haven't come across this book yet, just a little book talk or summary of it? Sure. So Grandpa Cacao, A Tale of Chocolate from Farm to Family, is my first book as an author and an illustrator. So it is a fictionalized account of the life of my grandfather, who lived in the Ivory Coast, West Africa, also pronounced Côte d'Ivoire, if you speak French. And the Ivory Coast is actually where I grew up. So I never met my grandfather in real life, but he was a cacao and coffee farmer. Um, And I've always been addicted to chocolate. Everybody in my family loves chocolate. We all always have chocolate in the house, no matter where we lived. Um, so I wanted to make a book about where chocolate comes from and also talk about the work that the farmers do on the farm to get these cacao fruits ready for processing before sending these cacao beans to the chocolate factory so that they can become, you know, the chocolate that we could just go to the grocery store or the candy shop or, and pick up. Cause I think a lot of kids really love chocolate, but I'm not sure that many people know where it comes from, that it grows from basically a fruit on a tree that only survives in tropical ecosystems, only um, grows in specific portions of the world. And the people that do the work of actually cutting the cacao fruits off of the tree, um, they're often, you know, poor farmers that can actually afford, cannot actually afford to buy a a fancy, beautiful, sexy chocolate bar. Mm. So I wanted to kind of shine the light on the fact that this, this beautiful product that we take for granted 
there's actually a lot of hard work and hands and love and, you know, sweat that goes into getting us this beautiful product. To tell the story uh, intergenerationally with the child and the grandfather telling the story and to have uh, them sort of fully illustrated and to have these almost just prints, right? These, yeah. These like yeah, silk silk screen, silk, silk screen images. Yes, yeah. of of the story being recounted of growing up and how the land was worked, the land that you're on now. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like brought such value and meaning to holding that item, and as a reader, I think was something that really brought that home as well. This item that is so ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Um, comes from people working a field, and and yeah. I think many many images of um, people bent over. I would imagine right. the weight of the of the um, beans and and being doing that sort of labor is is mm-hmm. is, is a lot of hard work. I yeah. to, to out myself. I grew up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, like just outside of Hershey. Yeah, so I had that experience of like, let's ride yes. the glamorous chocolate yes. ride and smell the chocolate scent piping into the. Yes, thing to have... I actually went to Hershey when I was working on this book, just kind of like as a, a little field trip on my way down to to a, to a wedding nearby. It's like, let's go to Hershey and see what that's all about. <laughs> you know, it's where you learn about how chocolate is made in a factory and then you get to ride roller coasters right yeah <laughs> super awesome <laughs> yeah but I, but i did appreciate when i went there at the hershey museum they yes. do a really good oh, job of talking is... about yeah talking about the work and the farmers and the labor and the costs and all of that yeah i think so too and that museum is right there on campus and it's free it's yeah. uh separate from the the sort of automated tour that they have right. but um to to have the experience of connecting with the people that are behind bringing the product to you, that this is not something that is uh, machines do all of the work. Whenever we talk about something grown for us, there are people that are doing this labor seasonally or doing different labors throughout the year to bring this food to us. Exactly. Uh, I think really gives us as having someone cook a meal for us should give us that appreciation for the thing we're holding. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I love that your debut is something so so deeply connected to you. I can sort of hear you smiling as you talk about yes. growing up with this chocolate. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was definitely the most um, selfish book that I've ever worked on. It's about me and my dad and my, my grandpa, yeah. Did you... Is this a story that you always wanted to tell? I know you set out illustrating other individuals' books, but I wonder when in that... I know that some illustrators are, um, they, they're drawn to illustrating, um, other people's stories or yeah. they want to do their own stories or a mix of both. I wonder where sort of on that spectrum you fall. Um, I think it's always been a mix of both, but I've had this idea for this, this, this book specifically in my mind for maybe 14 or 15 years. Um, when I was in school at the Rhode Island School of Design, um, this is when I kind of got the idea that I want to write a picture book about where chocolate comes from. So this book has had a lot of different kind of shapes and formats um, uh, throughout the years. But I always knew that, you know, 
if, if I become an illustrator, I also want to make make my own book about my own kind of family history and family tradition. Oh, yeah. I've talked to a number of of you RISD grads. And <laughs> it's neat to from from a librarian's perspective, knowing like I went to school to be a librarian. It's going yeah. it's fun going to library school and like dreaming about what will my library be like? It shouldn't mm-hmm. be surprising, but it is to to hear things like you took a class about making picture books or illustrating. Yeah. You had to make yeah. a book to show to your professors and other people. Like that's that's cool. Exactly. It's neat to know yeah. that, that is that you studied this craft mm-hmm. of illustrating and that you have had stories. It's it's I think fascinating to me to illuminate how stories can sit with us and take shape mm-hmm. inside us and and mm-hmm. take time to Form, that when we hold yes. this book, that we think it, it is is finished, is is telling us the story now, that that mm. really it was sort of whispering pieces of the story to you for years. Yes, that's so beautiful. That's such a beautiful way to put it. I love that. Yes, it's it's something that I think causes me, and hopefully others, when they hear things like this, to seek ways to slow down with children when we mm. write stories. Mm-hmm. I think often we're taught to finish a draft and move forward and edit it and then publish it and then write the next thing and write the next thing. But to know that right. there is, a, for the right story and in the right context, a lot of value to letting stories marinate. And I, I suppose also knowing that sometimes for authors, stories will come quickly and other mm-hmm. times that story needs time to germinate. I like yeah. that. I like that very much, especially when it's a story about chocolate. It feels really appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You've got to plant the seed and let it grow. Yeah. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. So I know many of you have been listening for some time and you know that I am obsessed with audiobooks. And the reason why that is is because one, I can listen to them wherever I go, and two, because frankly, I'm a terribly slow reader, and three, the only time in the day that I've really been able to carve out time to read is after a long day of teaching, after we've prepared dinner for the kids, and we've bathed them, and we've sent them to bed at the very end of the night. That's when I can read, and it is hard to read and get through a novel at that pace. So... Thankfully, we have audiobooks. You know, now you've got lots of options when it comes to buying audiobooks, but what if you could support local bookstores at no extra cost to you? Did you know Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore? You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including those New York Times bestsellers, recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, I get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but I'm part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Have you, I imagine writing a book, I always love this picturing too, 
you write a book about chocolate, so that means all the school visits <laughs> end up being like, we brought you chocolate, enjoy, or we made chocolate <laughs> things. But I wonder if um, growing up around chocolate, if you sort of have a, 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 a particular kind of chocolate that you really, that feels like home to you. Hmm. That's a great question. Um, growing up, we usually had milk chocolate in the fridge and dark chocolate with like orange peel. I think dark chocolate with orange definitely makes me think about the chocolate I ate in my childhood in the Ivory Coast. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That That's a sensory memory for me in that you're sharing it and I can... I can taste that. That's great. Mm. Beautiful. Well, I had the very good fortune uh, of getting to meet you, which so seldom happens, getting to meet folks that I interview, or in this case, before we before we interviewed. Yes. But it was because you were at a table at NCTE with my good friend, Nikki Grimes. Yes. And she has been talking about and teasing out this book that, as of recording this, gosh, you're just about to be... Is it? Has it published yet? Yeah, it didn't publish this Tuesday, did it? One week from today. A week from today. Um, actually, another one of my books actually published today. Oh my goodness, but, it published uh, today. Um, as Big as the Sky by Carolyn Rose, published by Sterling Children's Books. Congratulations on As Big as Thank the you. Sky. Thank you. The um, book that we... Uh, that really, I think, brought us together is uh, a book called Bedtime for Sweet Creatures, written yes. by Nikki Grimes. Um, and the art in this, I just have to say, is it just feels like anything I've seen before. Aww, thank and I you. I love it. I love the, um, how do you say it? Like almost a graphic design yes, nature exactly. of these animals you drew i love it so much thank you yeah it took a long time um for us to figure out how the animals would look and how we would make them look differently than the realistic humans in the book but i really had a lot of fun playing around and making you know some illustrations that are a lot more whimsical that i'm used to doing um with my other books in the past I feel like in this book too, I really got a sense of your collage because mm. maybe because of the way things were layered, there was that subtle shadow around some of the edges that, that mm -hmm. gave it the sense of depth. Yep. I like that a lot. Um, in this story, I, I could summarize this one if you want, that yeah. um, the the story is about a child not wanting to go to bed and the parents are likening these different steps of bedtime or procrastination toward bedtime to different animals, which yes. I found to be a way of sort of um, drawing the child toward bed. Do you mind yes. if I read a little bit of it to you? Oh, please, please, okay. please. So, I've never had anybody read this to me. Oh, my God. This oh, is I God. feel honored. <laughs> <laughs> to read Nikki's words, too, is quite an honor. Sure, yeah. this, this book, as it, as her other novels are, uh, and picture books are, is quite poetic. Yes. Uh, and I find reads so beautifully when read quickly and also when read slowly. And, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. if you're reading a book over and over at bedtime, it 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 has to happen at different paces. But this book mm -hmm. particularly reads at 
<laughs> How do I say it? It reads well at different tempos. Maybe I can read it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like so, that. <laughs> so it starts, no, no, no. You beat the world like a drum. The minute I say, come, sweet creature, it's bedtime. Your eyes swell wide as owls. Let's go, I say. Who? Who? You ask as if you didn't know. Bear is going, I say. He'll be awfully lonely without you. Suddenly you come running. And in the forest of your room, you cling to Bear. I turn back the sheets and you growl. In you both go, I say. So I want to point out to listeners who have not come across this book yet that as we're reading this story, these different items or animals are mentioned. The drum is why I say item. Uh, or the bear, which happens to be a, a stuffed animal that we see mom holding. Um, but each time we're seeing these, you've got these giant graphic images of these uh, animals oversized and and following the the direction of the child or the object moving. It just it it's so pretty to look at, Liz. I don't even know what oh to say. God, thank it's you. so pretty. <laughs> I it I like I don't know how you read this book without just stopping and looking and 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 being transported. The notion of like the it, the fact that you illustrated a snake on a child's bed. <laughs> I know, and weird, yet, right? It totally works for this book. It's just it's that. You <laughs> The feeling that these animals should make you all worked up, and yet the way the text beckons and the way your illustrations are part of the process of of positioning yourself, of mm-hmm. posturing yourself for bed or, or in protest of bed, mm-hmm. it just works so well. You really nailed it. Thank you so much. I think another thing that I really love about just the layout of this book is the positioning of the text. It really kind of integrates into the illustrations rather than being, you know, blocks of words in corners. Yeah. Yeah. It it sort of rounds itself around mm-hmm. the characters or around the 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 child or really it pulls you the direction of the story, which is, mm-hmm. you've got this like long trim size of a book as it is, mm-hmm. which means when you open it, it's even longer. So you, yes. you end up having these really great spreads of walking from one side of the house to the other, from the kitchen right. back to the bed or from the wherever to the wherever, which works really well on a long spread. But you're right. The text is doing that wonderful work too. And the, the coloring of the text to pair with, the animal yes. as well as the the objects that are connecting it just uh, the design of the book is is thoughtful and works yes. in harmony with 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 the whole thing and i know that that's not i know that that can be the work of many so i want to mm-hmm. make sure i acknowledge that i know that it's not just the names of the individuals on the cover but that a team brought this together but really all of you listening to one another and to what the story was was calling for did a beautiful job yeah, thank you. I think we're all really, really proud of this one. Yeah. So when 
you got this manuscript, and maybe this will speak to the way that you work with other manuscripts when you receive them. After deciding that it's a that it's a yes for you, how does envisioning the story or making a dummy or sort of playing out what what this story will look like look like? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, the first thing that I usually do when I receive the dummy is I read it out loud and then I read it silently in my head and I jot down notes of images that pop into my head or um, colors that pop into my head as I'm reading. And then I just kind of play around with sketching and usually the first thing that I sketch is the main character. I want to figure out who they are and what they look like. And since I love faces, I want to draw their face. I want to see what their face looks like. And I feel like if I can draw a character with a face that I am really happy with, then I feel like like this character becomes my friend and they help me figure out the rest of the book. Like every page is a problem that needs to be solved. And my little buddy in the red, the red um, pajamas can help me do that on every page in this book. I love that you ask a character to show you the way. It's yeah. not unlike when I've heard middle grade authors developing stories when a character comes and you develop it by asking the character questions and allowing mm. in that way the story to express itself through the character's experience and mm -hmm. personality. That's really neat to hear that. Do you design your characters based on individuals you know i know that sometimes artists will have friends uh like pose mm -hmm. so that they can um draw likenesses that way or maybe they they will work their their friends or people they know into books uh mm -hmm. or are you just working from your imagination or maybe a combo um, for this one, it was mostly through my imagination. I, I, I knew I wanted the toddler to be wearing, you know, red pajamas. I knew I wanted the toddler to have big, puffy, poofy hair with a little kind of curl that kind of reacts to different situations. But um, the character is not based on any particular person that I know. The character uh, is adorable and <laughs> does the the posturing of of bedtime as well the stretches and the yawning and the all of that but i like how deliberately because this was i rarely make notes ahead of a conversation but this was a note that i noted because it has to be deliberate which is that that toddler the you in the text the y-o-u in the text mm -hmm. is non-gendered mm-hmm and I have to think that that, that was a, a deliberate choice, correct? Um, I'm not sure if it was a deliberate choice by the author, Nikki Grimes, but it was definitely, um, I looked at it as, well, I want this character to be, to appear as possibly a girl or possibly a boy, because I wanted all every reader to see themselves in the character so i appreciate that the gender is non-specific in the text so that it, it let me make the character non-gender specific to kind of maybe appeal to a broader audience yeah my brain sort of went there too that notion of uh allowing more children to see themselves if, if it's not so explicitly uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, male or female identifying child um, 
I um, I love that. This is it's just details. There's little details here, Liz. But I'm <laughs> yes, like, I, I love details. Little details. I love that mom has short hair. Yes. I she to me um, <laughs> her um. There's this a spread. Well, I need to find it. There's a spread that looks to me here. The one that reads, <laughs> I hope this is not embarrassing for the person I'm going to mention. I, I'm trying to say it sweetly. Um, when the text reads, you coil beneath the quilt, silent as a snake. Why are you hiding? I ask. Monsters, you hiss. All gone, I trumpet. You're safe. The the mom pictured holding her hands by her mouth, trumpeting, l- reminds me of Andrea Davis Pinckney. When oh my gosh. <laughs> I saw her speak and she did like with the hands a really <laughs> a projecting thing like that. So just the fingers spread, smile on the face, eyes wide, just made oh, wow. me think that. And I think that the short hair was part of and the big earrings, of course, mm, was part yes. of what helped um <laughs> identify that way to me or connect that way to me. But it just then brought my attention to I don't think I often see uh moms with short hair in books so it just was a little just a little thing that i thought i should say something about that because it's adorable (laughs) that um (laughs) that in my brain andrea davis pinkney is like stepping into this book um and who knows how she is with her kids but also just that i'm like oh yeah there's there's for any child for any reader there's any number of possible connections that they will see themselves yes. in, in the posturing, in the hair, in the um, the house or the teddy or anything. Yeah, I really I, I love that you, you brought that up, that it looks like like someone in real life. Every time I'm out in the world and I see a child or a parent or an adult that looks like a character in my books, I always get really excited. Like, oh, my gosh, that person looks just like Grandpa Cacao. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, when I was, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago and I, um, actually, um, went to the source books offices in New York and met the editor of this book, um, Steve Geck getting on the subway after that meeting, a dad and a little boy stepped on the subway. The little boy was in the, in the a stroller. And I was like, I had a copy of this book in my bag. And I said to myself, Oh my gosh, this kid looks exactly like the kid in my book. Should I give him a book? Would that be weird right now? Like <laughs> I didn't, I didn't give him a book, but I really wanted to. And I, Oh my gosh. It's, it's always, it's always like a an exciting feeling when I see a kid that I feel like, did I create that child in the book? And did they step off of the pages of the book and into the subway? Is this real right now? Oh, that is the biggest <laughs> magic. The I notion know. I will forever be entertained, Liz, <laughs> with the thought that you could be riding a subway <laughs> with your children and an author, an illustrator in particular, <laughs> yes. might pull a book out of her bag and say, I think I illustrated your child. Can yes. I give you a copy of my book? That's amazing. It's never actually happened before. I haven't actually done that, but maybe one day I'll I'll get the get the um, enough enough um kind of strength, inner strength to to actually do that. But when we're sitting in public places, thinking, I wonder what that other person is thinking about me, if they are at all, to right. know that someone might actually be thinking, you look just like a person from a book that I know or a book that I yeah. made is yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All the things about you and how you make books and see the world 
fascinate me. I love that you love faces and that these faces that you imagine sometimes are end up as faces that you see in the real world. And that to mm-hmm. me um, brings my brain back to your school visits and library visits and and bookstore events and, and all of the faces that you do see and mm-hmm. um, all those faces that see themselves in the work that you make and how grateful I am that uh, you have so many faces looking out at our readers that they can see themselves in. Thank you for, for the work that you do. Thank you. I want to close our time together by thinking of those faces and ask you that I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Sure. My message is reading a new book is like making a new friend. You never know that relationship can last a light, a lifetime. Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 550 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.